Welcome to the American Journal of Sports Medicine podcast series. I'm Jason Dragu from Stanford University and editorial board member at the American Journal of Sports Medicine. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Cole, professor at Rush University, Department of Orthopedics, and section head of the Cartilage Research and Restoration Center. He and his co-authors recently published a research article in the American Journal of Sports Medicine entitled Hyaluronic Acid versus Platelet-Rich Plasma, a prospective double-blind randomized controlled trial comparing clinical outcomes and effects on intraarticular biology for the treatment of knee osteoarthritis. Welcome, Dr. Cole. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Jason. Our subject today is intraarticular knee injections for the treatment of osteoarthritis. How did you become interested in this area of research? This is clearly a topic of interest as the barrier to entry, if you will, for alternatives to corticosteroids and hyaluronic acid has been quite low, but there have been very few investigators who have looked at in a scientific way, in a level one way when possible, the effects of platelet-rich plasma on treating osteoarthritis. So the interest was really to do what we felt was an FDA-quality study, absent of a placebo control group, evaluating uh, a comparison of hyaluronic acid to platelet-rich plasma, just given the relative paucity of literature in this space. Well, it's truly an exceptional article, uh, Brian. Can you give us a summary of the main findings of your paper? I can. The purpose of the study was basically to compare a sort of standard of care of three injections of hyaluronic acid to three injections of platelet-rich plasma in patients suffering from osteoarthritis in a symptomatic fashion on one knee that had a degree of arthritis that generally did not exceed Telgorn-Lawrence grade 3. It's a randomized controlled trial, double-blind to the extent that the patients had no idea what they were getting and the evaluators were blinded to the treatment. And essentially, everyone received a blood draw so that they were blinded to the extent that they did not know if they received PRP because obviously they had a blood draw. And the unique aspects of the study are that pre-injection or pre-treatment, each patient had a synovial fluid aspiration. And then at each time point for the injection, they had an additional aspiration and then received an aspiration at 12 and 24 weeks downstream following treatment to look at the biologic aspects of the treatment of either HA or PRP. That, I thought, was a relatively novel way to evaluate some of the biochemical effects that might be occurring with both agents because both are important. And essentially, the two groups had an equal number of patients, and we essentially looked at primary outcome variable of Womack pain, but had secondary outcome variables such as the IQDC score as well as the VAS scores. And then I would say tertiary aspects were the other independent variables such as the degree of osteoarthritis, the uh, body mass index, age, gender, as well as the biochemical factors that were evaluated prospectively. The take-home message is that we had to make a decision on what the primary outcome variable was going to be prospectively, a priori, just like any FDA-type study where pain is a primary endpoint. And we did not meet our endpoint in terms of differences between the groups for our Womack pain score. However, what was interesting is that we did meet our endpoint on the secondary endpoints for the IKDC score, as well as the visual analog scores at 24 and 52 weeks. I think what's interesting there is that there's very few studies that have shown 
long-lasting differences even beyond, say, 13 to 23 weeks, even with HA. So obviously, there's the effects of being in a clinical trial, which we probably should address at some point in terms of the sort of placebo effect and the impact of being in a clinical trial. But that being said, within these two groups, we even saw outcomes that were positive upwards of 52 weeks that not only occurred in both groups, in other words, we had responders in both groups, but we saw a difference in their IKDC scores as well as their VAS scores, the Denazis and the Womack scores, in favor of PRP over HA. Finally, when we looked at the biochemical differences, we did see differences overall in terms of improvements in several of the biochemical variables, such as tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1 beta. We saw trends, however, when we compared the differences between the two treatment groups. So the summary was that we basically found responders in both groups. It was a randomized study. Patients were blinded. We identified the fact that using leukocyte-poor PRP, that platelet fold did not really make a difference and that in two of our main outcome variables, inclusive of VAS and IKDC, we saw statistically significant differences in favor of PRP, also meeting an MCID as well, at 24 weeks and 52 weeks. So, Dr. Cole, can you give us a, a summary of how this study was constructed? This is a level one double-blind study comparing three injections of hyaluronic acid to three injections of leukocyte-poor PRP, otherwise known as ACP. And the basic premise of the study was to follow these patients clinically, both by patient-reported outcomes as well as biochemical analysis of their synovial fluid. Time points basically included pre-injection evaluation of the synovial fluid and then pre-treatment aspirations of the knee as well for biochemical analysis, as well as subsequent evaluation at 12 and 24 weeks, not only clinically, but with repeat aspiration. Essentially, it's an equal number of patients assigned to each group, totally randomized. The study was double-blinded, inclusive of the fact that the patients all had a blood draw during the time of PRP acquisition. However, only half of the patients ever got PRP when randomized to that treatment group. You guys collected a lot of data. It was a, a very impressive study. What were your main findings? A priori, we had to determine what the primary outcome measure would be, and that was the Womack pain score. We did not meet our primary endpoint when using the Womack pain score. However, in our secondary outcome measures, which included the IKDC score as well as the visual analog scale, we did achieve statistically significant differences in favor of PRP both at 24 and 52 weeks. In addition, when we looked at the biochemical effects of both HA and PRP, we essentially showed that there was a positive impact on the inflammatory mediators, both anabolic and catabolic, over the course of the study period that also trended in favor of PRP, especially when looking at interleukin-1b and tumor necrosis factor. It's important to understand that both groups had a significant number of responders, but there was a statistically significant difference in favor of PRP at 24 and 52 weeks when looking at IKDC as well as visual analog scale pain scores. So both your study as well as multiple other studies have shown that leukocyte poor or PRP without white blood cells appears to work to decrease the symptoms of osteoarthritis. What do you think the mechanism of its action is? Do you think this is purely anti-inflammatory or does PRP work to decrease pain in other ways? I think that what we now know is that it may have less to do with the increased fold of platelets and more to do with what's actually in 
or not in platelet-rich plasma. I think you deserve a lot of credit for helping us think about this issue. Historically, it was always more is better, but I think what we're learning is that there may be other factors that we haven't even well-defined in this regard, and it's important to understand that because we in our study didn't show that platelet fold made a difference, the fundamental issue is that we had a number of platelets with a relative paucity of white blood cells. So I'm not entirely certain if the presence of white cells contributes additional inflammatory mediators and maybe potentiates the symptoms, but suffice it to say in our review of level one and level two studies that was also published in AGSM, we identified a net advantage, if you will, of leukocyte-poor PRP compared to leukocyte-rich or even HA when compared to placebo. So I think there's something to it, but I think we don't have our arms around the entire space in terms of what's causing the positive impact. I would submit to you, though, that it doesn't just depend upon the number of platelets. I agree. And as a sister question, you used the non-white blood cell PRP formulation in your study. And both of our labs have shown that that is an anti-inflammatory type of PRP. Some studies have shown that there is benefit in osteoarthritis of using a white blood cell containing formulation of PRP. Do you have any thoughts as to whether other formulations, even those that contain white blood cells, can also decrease the symptoms of osteoarthritis? I think it's plausible. I think it's been demonstrated in the literature. There are some studies that have shown beneficial effects with leukocyte-rich PRPs. I can only speak to the experience we've had with leukocyte-poor and the general conclusion that the literature seems to favor, although you know we're not always comparing apples to apples in these, uh, when we're looking at the literature, and all, these studies are not all conducted in the same format, and especially because not all studies actually calculate or determine what patients are getting, which I think is a critical part of any of this clinical research, is setting a stage where we're actually evaluating what patients are getting. So I think those parameters have to be taken into consideration. I just have to say I have no personal experience with anything other than leukocyte poor, and there seems to be some suggestion of a relative advantage of that treatment modality over leukocyte rich. That being said, I know investigators have achieved excellent results with leukocyte rich PRP as well. Yeah, Jason, I just want to turn it back to you. Do you have any strong feelings about what you know? You've done some really interesting work in co-culture and so forth on the effects of rich versus poor, but do you have any clinical experience using uh, different PRP preparations that have more leukocytes? Yes, we have injected and had a series of an injection of osteoarthritis patients with leukocyte-rich, and, and just from a pure clinical perspective, they appeared to have more swelling and more reaction to it, maybe just as we've seen from both of our studies in the basic science laboratory. So I, I think in, in my mind, it is more of a feeling of more consistent results of decreasing inflammation with non-white blood cell containing PRP, and although it is true that in some patients they tended to respond to you know, different formulations of the PRP, including white blood cell containing PRP, but it just wasn't as consistent. I think if you look overall at the literature as a whole, that's kind of what we see, that there's just more inconsistent results of the white blood cell-containing PRP studies rather than more uniform results with the non-white blood cell-containing PRP. Yeah, I think we seem to agree on this point. And, you know, your team really deserves a lot of credit of pulling off a really fantastic large study on the subject. And you show that both groups, the PRP and the visco-supplementation groups, improved after your treatment. But of course, when you look back, 
The study also did not have a placebo saline-only type of injection group, which would have truly been a baseline. My question to you is, do you fundamentally believe that both of these groups actually were better afterwards, or do you think we were really just observing a placebo effect? Yeah, this is the crux of my current level of interest. We're going to have an article published soon about the impact of a placebo group in a controlled trial. I recently had our team review the level one research that has included a placebo control group in the HA literature and the corticosteroid literature as well as the PRP literature. And it's amazing how uniformly across studies there's about a 35 to 40 percent response rate in patients who receive a placebo. And I think the challenge that you and I have is while we're really trying to design the world's greatest study, you can't ever get away from the fact that those patients who actually agreed to be part of a study have a tremendous sort of inherent diathesis or bias just because they are in the study to begin with. And when you're dealing with an injection trial, suffice it to say the literature shows about a 35 to 40 percent response rate that mirrors the magnitude of change, often meeting an MCID, minimally clinically important difference, in the placebo group that is nearly identical to the treatment group. So it's a real struggle. And in fact, many drug trials are failing because they can't meet their endpoints because the placebos do so well. So it's the challenge we have. And, and I think that, in my opinion, it's a major limitation of our study. I think that what we can say is that there appears to be a difference in two of our three outcome PROs, patient-reported outcome measures, when it comes to pain. That difference meets an MCID. But what I can't tell you is, had we included a placebo group, would we have seen sort of an equal number of responders, and would it have looked more like HA than PRP in this study? The other challenge is, you know, do we include a placebo group that is just a liquid injection, or should we just do a sham control? I think those are really important things that you and I need to think about going forward as we design these studies. All I can safely say is when you're comparing the PRP to HA, there seems to be responders in both groups. It doesn't negate the fact that HA may be effective, but we do see a statistically significant improvement at sort of the midterm six months and the one-year results that looks better in a meaningful way with the simple comparison of PRP to HA. But it doesn't tell us how patients might truly respond in a positive way if we used a placebo group. Yes, I totally agree with your thoughts. And maybe another thing that you guys wrestled with when you were putting this uh, study together is the possibility of another control arm, which was corticosteroid injection. And my question is, how did you decide not to have, or what are the reasons why you didn't have a corticosteroid group? Well, we absolutely could have done that. And, you know, I mean, if we get to my personal treatment algorithm, I think I let economics drive my treatment decision-making. In general, I believe in corticosteroids, and I think they're safe. And I get generally very favorable responses as first-line treatment for osteoarthritis. When that stops working, we're left with the decision to use HA versus PRP, and one has a stronger economic impact directly to the patient than the other in terms of sharing that economic risk. So it begs the question, the clinical reality is we do use corticosteroids, or many of us do. Some, you know, I know our colleagues won't do that, but we've had generally a very favorable response, so it would have been a logical group to include. I think I would say that 
from a longevity point of view, when you look at the literature in terms of the length of response, when we do get a responder, it seems to be for a greater period of time in both HA versus PRP. So I'm not sure that we're comparing in terms of a, the clinical reality apples to apples when we group together HA versus PRP versus corticosteroids. So we could have easily done it. We would have had to think about the design rationale. In other words, would we do, I certainly would never want to stack three weekly injections of corticosteroids. So we're left with a design issue in terms of what would we do? Would we do one week corticosteroids and then two saline injections? I suppose that's a possibility. I mean, you and I could probably think of a number of permutations of a way to do this study. This was the cleanest and the most likely to get done. I was really concerned about our ability to get it. You know, this already, you saw the number of patients, over 2,000 that had to be screened for this study. Think about how difficult it is once you had the placebo group. We've done it. We're in the midst of doing one right now, but it is a real challenge. And while we did not want to compromise the scientific integrity of the study, we felt in order to get it done in a reasonable way, which was, this is a self-funded study, it was not industry funded, and we didn't receive any grants. We just wanted to include the two groups. But it really does beg the question, and because of the results of our study, I certainly wouldn't eliminate corticosteroids from one's armamentarium if they're a believer. And then one could decide if this is a, sort of a stepwise approach to managing a patient. What about some of your clinical decisions about a certain patient with osteoarthritis? Um, do you think that there are certain patients that are more suited for a certain type of treatment, or let's just say PRP? Do you think there would be certain osteoarthritis patients who would be more likely to have an effect with PRP or vice versa with visco supplementation? Do you take it on a patient by patient, and have you noticed any trends with what you see with their arthritis that would make them more of a candidate for PRP versus visco supplementation versus a corticosteroid injection? It's a great question, and I would honestly have a very hard time to link who I think will respond preferentially to one versus the other. The one thing I can say in terms of responders to biologics, if you want to lump all these together as biologics or anti-inflammatory treatments versus other treatments, my general feeling is that patients who present with weight-bearing pain, malalignment, prior menisectomy, a relatively dry knee, don't have a lot of that achiness, who don't have a wet synovitis, fusion, the night discomfort, things like that, they are less likely to respond to biologics. The flip side are those patients who have barometric type pain, they can predict the weather change, they have effusions, they tend to get a synovitis or inflammation, they complain of achiness, the toothache discomfort, maybe they have load pain, but they at least have all these other parameters. I think in general, those patients are more likely to respond to biologics. I don't have any other criteria, however, at least in my clinical experience, and I'd be interested in if you do, to suggest who I think is the right person to hit with PRP first versus HA versus corticosteroids. I've really let my clinical experience drive my decision-making from an economic perspective and a patient-driven perspective. When you explain to a patient that none of these treatments will likely be disease-modifying, all of them are likely to be symptom modifying. Some of them have greater levels of inconvenience versus others. Some of them have more economic responsibility. I think there's a foregone conclusion that as long as you believe that all three might work, you'll develop your own linear decision-making that you'll sort of walk through each of these. I know that's not true for everyone in terms of making those decisions, but that's generally my decision tree in terms of how I use each of these. I don't have enough insight, to be honest, to tell you who would be a responder to 
PRP versus HA versus corticosteroids. I'd love to ask your insight in this. Have you gained any clinical intuition over time in this regard? With the recent realization that there's a subset of patients with osteoarthritis that actually have an inflammatory component. They come in more with the reactive knee, sometimes with low to moderate grade effusions. For me, those have been the patients that have responded to the non-white blood cell containing PRP and pretty readily to the corticosteroid versus, as you mentioned before, more of the dry classic osteoarthritis, possible malalignment, where they don't really have a reactive inflammatory type knee, those have been the ones that for me have more of a response from the visco supplementation. And I was wondering when you were collecting your data and, and going over the data, did you notice this at all? Was there any sort of parameters such as the synovial fluid analysis before treatment or measurement of effusions or reactivity. Did you notice how this subset of patients did and did it have any correlation with their results? No, I can't. You know, synovial fluid analysis across the board were pretty comparable. I did not record effusions because we weren't aspirating these knees routinely. In general, my treatment algorithm includes an aspiration if they have a big hot swollen knee, but traditionally most of these patients don't have that. They do complain of swelling, but I rarely get them in for treatment by the time they're enrolled in the study where they come in with a big, hot, swollen knee. I do think going forward, you know, what you and I are discussing here is really sort of postgraduate thinking. We're really trying to figure out who's appropriate for these types of treatment. And it sounds like you and I have sort of come to that same relative conclusion. I don't yet, again, have the granularity from our analysis to tell you who is more likely to be a responder in one group versus the other, because we really didn't track that issue. I can only tell you from a synovial fluid analysis, not from the volume of effusion, but from that analysis, we didn't see differences between the groups before they started their treatment. And speaking of the synovial fluid analysis, it is truly one of the unique aspects of your study. Would you mind discussing your synovial fluid results in a little more detail for our listeners? Basically, you know, what we showed is that when we looked at a number of these factors, through ELISA analysis, and I have to really credit Lisa Fortier and her lab for doing this work. And it, it takes an enormous amount of effort because what you have to do is do the aspiration. Some of them are dry taps, discuss it with the patient, get them to agree to do it. Certainly, we weren't able to get every patient. I think we had a total of about 125 samples in the end. And batch them together and then analyzing them all at once at the end of the study. So keeping track of that was a logistic challenge, I have to tell you. And it certainly adds a significant expense to the study. That being said, what we showed in the biochemical analysis were that the differences between groups approach significance for interleukin-1-beta and tumor necrosis factor, two pro-inflammatory mediators, in favor of PRP over the entire time frame and a significant difference at the 12-week follow-up, but not beyond that. So we did show a statistical difference at 12 weeks, but at the later time points, we showed only trends in favor of PRP. All the other factors didn't play out as having any differences, though. We looked at a bunch of other factors in the panel. I think it's important to understand that, like you say, there's not many studies, if any, that have done this. And it's important to understand that both HA and PRP showed a positive biochemical impact on the joint. And I think that's important for us to, to sort of glean because we believe that reducing inflammation, whether it's nociceptive issues or so forth, is likely the reason these patients feel better during the time frame that they're considered responders. How about the future of research in this area? Theoretically, if we had available grant funding that was 
to be used for the biologic treatment of osteoarthritis. How do you think this money should really be spent? What, what type of trials do we really need to prove the best type of treatment for this type of osteoarthritis? I think our study is good, but I think it could be a whole lot better, to be honest. And I think if budgetary concerns were not a consideration, I would love to see a study that was powered by grade. In other words, symptomatic patients with sort of, that even go down to grade zero in terms of, you know, sort of that preclinical patient, but that does have legitimate symptoms. I would love to power it by grade, whether you use Kelvin Lawrence or other grading system. That takes obviously a large number of patients. I would love it to be a multi-center study. I would like to include uh, maybe one or two different control groups, uh, a placebo control, maybe a group that basically involves just a needle stick, if you will, sort of the sham group. I think it could be narrowed down a bit. It doesn't have to necessarily be three injections. That, that's just, just something to go into discussion. But the bottom line is I think a better study would include one or two additional groups as well as powering it properly for the degree of osteoarthritis. I think I would even go as far as saying that maybe we could start to look at those other variables that you've already suggested, which is the nature of the clinical presentation, to try to really get at the fact that who's going to be a responder and who's not going to be. Is it going to be that biologically active patient, or is it going to be, you know, can you get a response out of these dry knees that have some degree of malalignment? The problem that you and I see is that these groups are so incredibly heterogeneous. And because we have an economic responsibility to sort of do the right thing as well as obviously to, to keep it safe, I think if we start looking at these independent variables, the grade of osteoarthritis, which we know is a negative prognostic factor, we showed that. But if we could actually power properly for those different groups and really have a suitable placebo control group and maybe even include corticosteroids, which is still within the standard of care, I think we could get a better idea of a good treatment algorithm. So it would be, in my mind, sort of the holy grail. Obviously, we can look at, you know, some of the genetics and epitopes and so forth. And obviously, there's a lot of high-level basic science we could do, but I truly would be interested in doing an ongoing clinically relevant trial. I think you and I have worked heavily in vitro and even in vivo, but I think the reality is a very, very rigorous multi-center clinical trial that looks at all these independent variables would be, you know, really important to do in the near future. Well, thank you for your time tonight, Dr. Cole. This has been a very interesting discussion. And would you mind resummarizing the take-home points of your paper for our listeners one more time? Yes, I would. And I want to thank you again for helping prepare the questions and taking the time to do this, because obviously this is not a one-man show, and it's an honor to be doing this with you. I also want to thank the journal for putting this together. I just would summarize the findings of our study in that this is a double-blind randomized controlled trial looking at the effects of leukocyte-poor platelet-rich plasma compared to hyaluronic acid. The outcomes basically suggested that we saw responders in each group. We essentially looked at grades one through three in patients who had unilaterally symptomatic knee osteoarthritis. We identified that there were some other subtle independent variables such as obesity and the degree of osteoarthritis, which had an inverse relationship in terms of outcome overall. We identified the patient age and gender did not really matter, as well as platelet fold increase, which was interesting, which suggests that there's other variables that are acting in PRP. And the fact that patients responded in both groups, but when we looked at certain aspects of our outcome variables, inclusive of the IKDC and visual analog scale, we saw significant improvements at both 24 and 52 weeks. And we also showed that the biochemical factors were affected in a positive way in both groups, but there was an important trend in favor of platelet-rich plasma.
Well, thank you again, Dr. Cole, not only for spending the time with us this evening to discuss your paper, but of course for adding this great manuscript to our literature, which is truly a great addition. Dr. Cole's study, entitled Hyaluronic Acid versus Platelet-Rich Plasma, a prospective, double-blind, randomized controlled trial comparing clinical outcomes and effects on intraarticular biology for the treatment of knee osteoarthritis will be published in the February 2017 issue of the American Journal of Sports Medicine and can be found online at www.ajsm.org. This concludes this evening's podcast. Thank you.